Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Each week we gather right here to make connections that break through the illusion of separation. And I trust something you hear in the next hour is likely to inspire the infinite field of possibility in relationship to the journey of the soul and its survival after death. So intriguing. Who are we really? Where did we come from? Is there such thing as an afterlife or proof of heaven? Our guest today says that each of us carries a memory of heaven buried deep within us. And there's a larger world behind the one we see around us every day. That larger world loves us more than we can possibly imagine. I love that, don't you? That we each carry a memory of heaven. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind. Connect with your heart. And settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. After decades as a physician and teacher at Harvard Medical School and elsewhere, renowned academic neurosurgeon Dr. Eben Alexander thought he knew how the brain, mind, and consciousness worked. A transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection changed all of that completely. He has spent the last eight years since his NDE reconciling his rich spiritual experience with contemporary physics and cosmology. He discovered that by probing deeply into our own consciousness, we transcend the limits of the human brain and of the physical material realm. A pioneering scientist and thought leader in consciousness studies, Dr. Alexander has been a guest on Dr. Oz, Oprah, and many other national and international media programs. His books, Proof of Heaven, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Afterlife, and The Map of Heaven, How Science, Religion, and Ordinary People Are Proving the Afterlife, have collectively spent more than two years atop the New York Times and international bestseller list. I am really happy to have Dr. Eben Alexander join us today. Welcome, Dr. Alexander. Well, it's great to be here, Julie. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, thank you. You know, this is going to be a fun conversation for me, and I hope really um, inspiring and enlightening for our listeners, because we have a lot of listeners that already adore your work and are really into consciousness. But I just really... Uh, appreciate your willingness to come on and and help us expand those boundaries and expand our understanding. So I'm looking forward to this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, Dr. Alexander, here with your audience. Oh, oh yes, and we we are all going to love this show, and I'm sure listen to it more than once. So we have a traditional first question here on the Dr. Julie Show because we like to kind of put this conversation and ground it in a bigger perspective. And so I want to start there. Can you share with our listeners what does all things connected mean to you? It means that we are truly uh, 
part of one universe, and our mind is uh, has a holographic nature that is identical with all of sentience throughout the universe and all of the uh, all that exists. We are part of one, uh, and this is a crucial part of the emerging understanding, uh, from my point of view, in terms of uh, what consciousness is and this deeper. Uh, assessment of the whole mind-body discussion uh, really leads into territory where it starts becoming very clear that we're all part of one mind, that the one mind is at the origin of all of the emerging uh, observable universe. So it's really about the interconnections and uh, the confusion and distortion, from my point of view, emerges whenever you have that false sense of separation, whether it's a sense of separation of self from others or of self from the universe, uh, whatever it is, it is false. Uh, there's much more uh, in the way of explanatory potential that comes from the unification and oneness of all that is and not really separating ourselves out from that. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for that. I, I, I'm looking forward to talking about this false sense of separation and, and really this consciousness and this marriage of science and spirit that you've been digging into since your near-death experience. But let's set the tone first. Thank you for that first question. Let's go back to the beginning because you you have written a first book, Proof of Heaven, after a very unusual experience for you yourself. And I know many of us have heard your story. It's Thank you. It's, it's such a good story that has helped so many people. Um, shift their consciousness in so many different ways. And then you wrote the second book. But let's start there, Dr. Alexander, and tell us a little bit about um, what happened eight years ago and and your experience. Okay. Well, uh, as you had pointed out in the introduction, I had spent many decades uh, as an academic neurosurgeon, more than 15 years at Harvard Medical School, thought I had some idea of how brain, mind, and consciousness are interrelated. Uh, and then... Um, November 10th, 2008, I awoke at 4.30 in the morning with severe back pain, soon realized I had a horrific headache. Uh, and within about three and a half hours from onset of symptoms, I developed severe, unbreakable grand mal epileptic seizures uh, and really was gone from this world from that point on for the next seven days. Now, uh, that coma began in my bed at home, and uh, my family called uh, the EMTs, and they hustled me off to the Lynchburg General Hospital, and that's where uh, they very rapidly determined that I had an e extreme case of gram-negative bacterial meningitis. That's the worst kind of meningitis you can have. Uh, and in mm -hmm. fact, any doctor who is aware of the physical, uh, medical um, details of my condition realized that by day two after such an illness, the patient is either starting to wake up or they're dead. This was an extremely serious case, and my doctors knew from my neurologic exams, from my CT and MRI scans, from my lab values, and from my clinical course, uh, that my neocortex was devastated. Now, that's a crucial part of my journey and of my whole story, because the neocorte neocortex is the outer surface of the brain. That's the part that makes us human. It's the most powerful calculator in the entire brain. Uh, and modern neuroscience would say that any part of the uh, rich detail of conscious awareness that any human being has ever had, beginning from before they were born, that every bit of that uh, kind of construction of detailed consciousness 
depends on the power of that neocortical calculator. So if you take it offline, which uh, in fact my disease very effectively did, uh, as was evidenced by uh, the neurologic exams and scans, uh, then you should have no experience at all. It should not happen. You're not, there's no way to have any kind of dream or confabulation or uh, hallucination, uh, drug effect. Every bit of the conscious uh, impact of things like hallucinations must have a neocortex to uh, generate it. That's what our conventional neuroscience says. And yet the deep mystery of it all was uh, during this deep coma journey, as my brain was progressively shut down, in fact, my conscious awareness was liberated to a much higher level. So, in other words, the raw evidence from my experience uh, made it very clear that uh, we are conscious in spite of our brain, that, in fact, uh, consciousness is not produced by the brain at all. And, of course, that's a cornerstone of our conventional uh, kind of scientific and neuroscientific thinking uh, is that the physical world is all that exists and that the physical brain must somehow generate consciousness out of physical matter. Uh, but the deep reality is, uh, comes out of not only my story, but thousands of other pieces of uh, similar evidence in the NDE world and in other uh, aspects of the study of consciousness and all manner of spiritually transformative experiences, and also I will point out uh, experiences that prove the reality of non-local consciousness. That is, that things like telepathy, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, um, past life memories in children indicative of reincarnation, uh, near-death experiences, shared death experiences, all of this are indicators that the physical brain is not producing consciousness at all. And there, there's a scientific uh, model that is replacing that because there are thousands of scientists around this world who get this. Uh, they may not be in the bully pulpit of the, um, you know, the, some of the pseudo-skeptics that are out there, um, you know, writing in, uh, say, the science section of the New York Times or in the Scientific American, but the deep reality is a lot of scientists get this, and I would say especially scientists who study consciousness, and also uh, many scientists who are uh, deeply into the measurement problem in, uh, or measurement paradox in quantum physics. Because deep study of consciousness and elucidation of what's called the hard problem of consciousness, as well as uh, the... Um, the measurement problem in quantum physics all steer us very directly towards recognizing that the production model of the physical brain creating consciousness fails completely uh, and that we are best off looking at consciousness as fundamental in the universe and the brain works more as a transceiver or as a filter that reduces that primordial uh, consciousness, which I would point out pre-exists the Big Bang. In fact, all of the observable physical universe emerges out of consciousness, not the other way around. And so it's this much deeper understanding that comes out of all this, and uh, that really originates from my kind of journey, my kind of uh, experience, and the many other NDEs that are out there. The reason uh, the medical community has taken such a huge interest in my story is because it very flatly uh, debunks the simplistic materialist model of brain produces consciousness and points that there, the universe is a far grander place than that with far more mystery and a mystery that 
is more easily understood as you come to understand that consciousness is fundamental. Now, in my personal journey, it all started, uh, the memories of my journey started in what I call the earthworm eye view, a very primitive, coarse, unresponsive realm. Uh, but then I was rescued from that by a slowly spinning white light that had a perfect musical melody, and it ushered the way up into this beautiful, ultra-real gateway valley uh, that had many Earth-like features, as I point out. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. There were sparkling waterfalls into beautiful blue pools and lots of uh, plant life and vegetation that was always growing, pure creation, fertility, never any death or destruction. There were thousands of souls dancing in this lovely valley, in that gateway valley that I describe. Uh, and there was a beautiful guardian angel who gave me the spiritual message that I think is so crucial for this world. You are deeply loved and cherished. You have nothing to fear. You will be taken care of. And then beyond that realm, swooping orbs of angelic choirs up above that provided anthems and hymns, once again music, vibration, frequency, providing yet another portal into higher and higher levels, witnessing all of space-time collapsing down, uh, and then a, a different layer of causality associated with that spiritual realm that I call deep time, uh, all of that collapsing down until I reached what I call the core, an infinite inky blackness, but dazzling darkness filled to overflowing with the uh, infinite healing power of unconditional love of that deity of that god at the core of it all but this is a god important to stress as i came back to this world um i labeled that god om i grew up in a methodist church and a christian background and this was a far grander god than i ever could have imagined that uh, in many ways was consistent with uh, the teachings of early christianity but not so consistent with a lot of the dogmatic religion that I had been fed over all those years. And in fact, I came to realize, as I was uh, trying to put all my journey together and trying to describe this for other people, uh, that that God that I witnessed, uh, whether it be God or Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, it was crystal clear to me that that deity is fundamentally real at the core of our very consciousness. And Again, this false sense of separation comes from the language, from the words, from human beings trying to describe in words uh, these journeys. And especially when you uh, get away from just the messages of the deep uh, journeyers, seekers, prophets, and mystics over time, uh, and then start putting it into words that are written by others that are trying to control the flow of that uh, deity and the influence of that kind of knowing on this world, you get that false sense of separation. So people think, well, am I supposed to check off the, you know, God or Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, which one I believe in, all the above, none of the above. Uh, they lose sight of the fact that deep within mind and consciousness, we all have access to that deity very directly. Uh, my experience with that deity, which I think is very much uh, supported and corroborated by um, tens of thousands of other near-death experiences, is a God of love, of pure love. And the, the uh, infinite healing power of that unconditional love of that deity, the love of the creator for the creation, is another way I often put it, uh, is what we can all come to know through deep meditation uh, and centering prayer. And this, of course, is why I'm such a proponent of going within. As I mentioned in that book, uh, my second book, The Map of Heaven, 
going within is the way all of us come to, can come to know this uh, deep truth. Uh, but this journey for me it was a tremendous awakening. I had came back to this world and really had to uh, dismiss everything I'd ever thought I'd known about the nature of reality and start over from square one. Uh, and it's been a tremendous uh, liberation for me and I think for many others uh, to share in this kind of much broader view of the nature of reality and of the mind-body uh, relationship, the mind-brain uh, relationship, and the coming revolution in the synthesis of science and spirituality that is emerging from this kind of journey, this kind of deeper understanding. It's really a coalescence of all of human knowledge, uh, not just our modern science, although our modern science actually uh, does a world of good in pushing us towards this much deeper revelation. That's the yeah. gift of, of quantum physics and what it's trying to teach us, even though uh, many in the physics community are really have not been able to step up to the plate, although some have, like Roger Penrose, Henry Stapp, uh, Brian Josephson, uh, William Tiller, uh, Claude Swanson. There are many physicists who realize that if we cannot come to a far more complete understanding of consciousness, then we might as well forget talking about any kind of theory of everything. But this is all about mm -hmm. this awakening that these kind of journeys bring to this world uh, that will lead to a synthesis of science and spirituality. Yeah, and Evan, you're you're just naturally able to pull and weave these together. But I want to before we go into the science, I would I'm really curious about your experience and how you've really your experience was so vivid, so multidimensional, and and I know you have this just crystal clear awareness of it even now you know eight eight years later it seems like you it's one of those things you just don't forget but with your experience I'm curious now after you've taken this journey into this exploration really into the science and spirituality and, and all these expressions of this heaven and this map of heaven now many people thousands are having these experiences and there's nuances and themes that really run threads throughout all these experiences and yet there's there's some um, individuality some uniqueness um, I know with yours in the book you know a few people will say that the wormhole experience like really and yet there's other books out there that talk about layers and layers and layers and layers in the afterlife so I'm curious about how you would um, kind of negotiate that for our listeners to understand the uniqueness of the NDE and the universal universality I would say I guess that that common thread that runs through them Right. Well, that is uh, a beautiful question, because that's right at the core of uh, how we are to interpret all of this. <clears throat> because, uh, as you point out, each and every one of the experiences is unique in, in many ways. Uh, and they are. They are uh, suited to the soul and, and kind of the, the soul's development at that point in its journey uh, and in the kind of bigger context of the individual lives. Um, and yet... The thing that really struck me, because you can bet as a card-toting member of the reductive materialist neuroscience fan club, which, you know, before COBA is the way I was, I believe the physical is all that exists, I believe 
uh, that uh, the brain creates consciousness. Um, so I never paid any attention to the near-death literature. I always thought, well, who cares what a hallucinating brain at the moment of death uh, throws at people? So what? Uh, but, of course, I, I bought into that uh, production model that the brain produces consciousness, and it turns out there's actually no evidence for that at all. When you press people on it, uh, there's nothing uh, that, that says that. Uh, when you compare it with that filter theory of consciousness as being primordial, which is a far more powerful explanatory model. Um, and yet, when, as I started reading the near-death literature, which I did beginning after I had uh, written down 20,000 words or so in the first six weeks after I woke up from my coma, on the advice of my older son, Evan IV, who at that time was majoring in neuroscience in college, and he was the one who, when he came home two days after I got out of the hospital, he drove home from school. It was the day before Thanksgiving, 2008. And I told him it was all way too real to be real. And my doctors had already convinced me that it couldn't have even happened, even though I knew it did happen, but I was trying to explain it as a hallucination. And he said, well, if you want this to be of any import to anybody, you must write down everything you remember before you read anything about NDEs. And so that's what I did, as much as I wanted to read everything I could get my hands on. And I put that off until I'd written that original 20,000 words, which were my raw database of my journey, you know, independent of any influence of reading about anybody else's experience. So then I started reading about others, and I went through many books and read about thousands of near-death experiences and also shared death experiences, uh, you know, all kinds of other spiritually transformative experiences. And the thing that is so striking at that point is, are the similarities. You find that there are threads, there are uh, uh, large uh, kind of confluences of uh, things that occur uh, that are about a very real territory, a realm that uh, takes on striking characteristics. Now, remember, if we took 100 people and transported them into New York City to spend a day, they'd all come back with very, very different stories. And it would depend a lot on their personalities and kind of where they landed, who they interacted with and all that. And likewise, these, these journeys have uh, differences, but stunningly, especially when you study, uh, just uh, say, confine it to people who are medically very ill and have an NDE, the striking thing is in spite of the wide variety of medical situations that might throw people into a near-death experience, the journeys themselves have great similarities. And... Uh, uh, it became very clear to me that the differences are largely due to an individual's uh, kind of soul journey at that point. But far more impressive are the similarities that really make this like, uh, you know, this is a realm that's very real. It's uh, also important to point out that uh, what we encounter there, even though the words that we use to describe them often reflect kind of our personal biases, maybe our religious beliefs and other beliefs about reality, um, that uh, in fact the, that commonality is what really stands out so strongly. Um, and uh, also, again, as I said, the, uh, the soul journey at a given point and one's particular background, the challenges they've had in life and all of that come together in this NDE to kind of catapult them into a much richer and deeper understanding of their own life. Now, importantly, uh, even though 
the pseudo skeptics out there often say, well, these are all um, experiences that you could just predict based on one's religious beliefs, etc. In fact, it's just the opposite. Uh, these kind of journeys often uh, provide a major course adjustment in someone's religious beliefs. And, uh, mm -hmm. for example, I had uh, spent you know, much of my life in the Methodist Church and the Episcopal Church and wanted to believe all that, but in those 20-plus years in academic neurosurgery, I had more and more difficulty, and my faith really suffered as my uh, neurosurgical career progressed. And then as people who've read Proof of Heaven will remember, uh, in 2000, uh, the year in February of 2000, I had a uh, uh, kind of a dark night of the soul come on to me that had to do with the fact that I was adopted. Uh, and then I had a perceived rejection by my birth mother in February 2000 that sent me over the deep end. And I spent those next eight years before my coma very agnostic. I gave up on any belief in the power of prayer, um, on any kind of belief in the reality of God and afterlife. And, of course, that's how I then entered my coma, which shifted everything forever. I will never doubt the reality of afterlife, the eternity of soul, and all of that. Um, and I had spent those eight years very agnostic, and all of that was completely upshifted uh, through my experience. Uh, I also came to realize through... Uh, many of the lessons I received in the core realm and throughout my experience that that uh, reincarnation is an essential part of this mixture. You cannot possibly uh, interpret my experience and also uh, uh, so many other NDEs, I think, point to the same kind of understanding in many ways, uh, that reincarnation is absolutely real. My uh, religious upbringing that basically said you have one incarnation and then you die and then it's eternal heaven or hell, depending on uh, what you did in this lifetime, uh, is almost laughable. Um, and, you know, I've gone back and, and uh, studied some of the uh, original literature around uh, Christianity and early Christianity and come to realize that early Christianity, just like uh, many other great faiths, fully supported the notion of reincarnation. It was something I'd never even thought remotely possible before my coma, and yet it was the only way to make sense of my journey mm. and to make sense of the emerging picture of uh, consciousness as a far bigger thing than, you know, produced by the brain, which is what I thought before. Uh, and yeah. when you have this uh, much grander view of consciousness as fundamental in the universe uh, that is only allowed in, in this tiny trickle of the apparent here now by the filtering mechanism of our brain, all of this starts to make far more sense. But the important point is we are conscious in spite of our brain uh, so that uh, it makes all the difference in the world what happens when we die. You know, that production model that I believe before my coma, the brain produces consciousness, obviously means that when the brain and body die, that's the end of your existence and your awareness. Whereas the filter theory, which uh, is not new, by the way, it was first put out there by people like William James and Henry Bergson and uh, Frederick W.H. Byers and other brilliant students of the human psyche back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Filter theory allows for a far grander understanding of the nature of the universe. And, of course, that one mind at the universal uh, source of consciousness uh, and of, of awareness, um, many see as God, uh, Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, whatever words you want to throw in there, that deity, that source, 
that many journeyers, seekers, and prophets have seen on their journeys um, is that uh, that infinitely loving and powerful source of our very consciousness. I would say that uh, our conscious awareness is a spark of that divinity, very directly connected to it. Mm. Uh, so it's a whole new way of looking at things. I think the other important point here uh, is uh, to stress that NDEs are not, uh, we've already said they're not the simplistic product of one's belief, religious belief system. They may be flavored by that belief system in the way they are recounted to people, but the ab- actual subject matter uh, is often something that's much deeper than that. And they yeah. they do not follow the conventional uh, lines of um, of one's religious uh, heritage and upbringing. And likewise, the NDE similarities uh, go across all belief systems, all religions. Uh, there are many interesting NDEs that have occurred in agnostic and atheistic people who then end up having an NDE, and it changes them dramatically. Um, so it really is about a true realm that is trying to show us its nature I and its fundamental basis that. of reality. Uh, and yes. this is where it all gets just fascinating uh, in, in where it's going. But don't think that the uh, NDE is a modern phenomenon coming out of the New Age culture, because in fact, uh, you can go back in uh, other religious systems, go back thousands of years, and find accounts of, of NDEs. For example, Plato's accounting of the Armenian soldier Ur, who was killed in battle 2,400 years ago. Uh, oh. who had a, a life hey. review. He came to realize that the only thing that matters is the love that you've given out to others in your life. I mean, this all came long before Raymond Moody's yes. 1975 book, Life After Life. Uh, you and know, you know what? That's a perfect place. I just want to, I'm going to jump in here and just pause for a minute because it's a perfect place for us to take a break. We need to do that. But you're ta- you, when you start talking about love you have one of the most beautiful quotes in the book i'm going to start off with that right after our break but first we're going to take a quick break we're here with dr evan alexander talking about the map of heaven we'll be right back This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use his time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? (laughs) What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What'd he say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. 
a place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you, the enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes, that one. The free to be me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not so far away place. Come to the forest where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected on Empower Radio. Hey, welcome back. If you're inspired by our conversation, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again and again. You can do that by visiting our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. So again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also, stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. We're here today with Dr. Eben alexander author of Proof of Heaven and now The Map of Heaven. And we're talking about all things consciousness here. And Dr. Alexander, you have a beautiful quote in the book. And I'm, I just really would love to start there because we're talking about these spiritual transformative experiences, how really consciousness does not come from the brain. The brain's this transceiver. I like to also call it a receiver. It's this, this filtering thing, but also this false sense of separation that we have and I think both you and I are interested in really sharing with others so that we can debunk that false sense I mean that's what my work's all about now that's your message but I want to start with this quote because it's so beautiful and I'd love for you to expand on that you began to talk about love right before the break and in the book you say the universe is based on love but if we have no love in ourselves, the universe will be shut off from us. And wow, I'm, I'm thinking about how we've already defined this false sense of separation and this connectedness and, and that this consciousness is more of, and I'd, I'd love to get into what is consciousness versus soul versus spirit versus this nature of reality and God this God of love, but if the universe is based on love, but if we have no love in ourselves, the universe will be shut off from us. What do you mean by that? Let's go there. I'm excited about this one. Well, it, um, I think uh, it, it became very clear to me that that 
love, and this is something that, of course, many near-death experiences and other spiritual journeyers throughout uh, history have acknowledged, that love is an overwhelming power. Uh, and I saw from my journey, it was very clear that, that uh, our situation in this world is not one of, of battle between good and evil, between the forces of light and love and the forces of darkness and evil, because what I saw is that love has infinite power to heal. There is no uh, you know, contradicting uh, force of evil and darkness. I saw the darkness and evil as simply the absence of that love. Uh, it's not an opposing force that could someday win out. Uh, so really, uh, the, the power to heal, and, the pow- and by heal there I mean become whole, become complete, become who we are to be in this universe and becoming uh, what it is to be, is all about uh, letting that love just to flow in and overwhelm and uh, eliminate all of that apparent darkness and evil, because unconditional love is an infinitely healing force. Now, much of the problem, another thing that I saw from my journey, is that the vast majority of the world's problems come because we don't love ourselves enough. I mean, we Mm -hmm. think the hard part is, you know, loving others, loving our enemy, uh, but in fact, we have forgotten that we are divine and sacred, eternal spiritual beings, all interconnected, all one with that divinity of, of that we attribute to God, and that is our essence. That is exactly who we are, and it's recovering that memory uh, of that uh, tremendous love and of that divine essence that is our our being, uh, and. Of course, one of the best ways to manifest uh, that beautiful uh, loving power is to love ourselves and share that by serving as a conduit for that love. And of course, the more we come to realize that we are one with all other beings, one with this universe, it becomes easier to just service that conduit, let that love flow through us, love others. Uh, I saw from my journey that... uh, Many who I had seen before my coma, or let's say the occasional uh, entity I saw as my nemesis, my enemy, someone who was trying to prevent me from getting something in this life, uh, was actually a near and dear soul mate. And that, in fact, we were simply trying to learn and teach with each other some especially difficult lessons. And that's why we might have seen each other as kind of a nemesis. Uh, And yet, in fact, we're all in this together. And it's all about having that much bigger view uh, and realizing that uh, we are here to love and to show compassion, mercy, forgiveness, acceptance. Uh, One of the most powerful tools on earth, without question, or in this universe, I should say, is forgiveness. And, of course, the the real... uh, Benefit comes uh, to the forgiver. Now, again, once you realize we're all one, uh, there is no further separation between forgiver and forgiven. It's all part of that natural process of mm-hmm. of love making us more complete. Uh, but really, love has that infinite power. I came to see that all of healing, uh, and this is really, you know, as a physician, as a neurosurgeon, uh, healing is what. Uh, was such a big part of my life before, but I would say that every single thought and utterance I have made since my coma journey is about healing, healing of self, healing of soul group, healing of others, healing of all humanity, healing of all sentience, all life on earth and beyond, 
because this is a much, much bigger deal than just uh, life on Earth and uh, a discussion about humanity and humans. This is what sentience of consciousness throughout the universe is evolving, uh, kind of along the lines of what Teilhard de Chardin pointed out uh, in his writings in the mid-20th century. Uh, Evolution, in the much grander sense, is really the evolution of consciousness. And from my point of view, just like that old saying, all politics is local, well, likewise, all evolution of consciousness throughout the universe is really local. And it's nothing more than the evolution of each and every individual sentient being in coming to grow towards that oneness and that knowing of oneness and of one mind uh, that we're all part of. And really, that's why the, the concept of love is so crucial. And it is an unconditional yes. love, because that deity, that creative source at the core of all conscious awareness, does love this creation uh, infinitely, beyond our understanding. So recovering that love is so important and has everything to do with healing at all levels. And that certainly includes yeah. healing in the physical sense, because I would say that there is no such thing as physical, mental, and emotional health without underlying spiritual health, given that we're spiritual beings in a spiritual universe. um, You know, if we're out of line with our uh, spiritual identity, uh, that's where we start running into, uh, uh, you know, lack of health or incompleteness in our physical, mental, and emotional states. So it really all depends fundamentally on that spiritual health and a growth towards oneness. So, Evan, let me just interject here because I think this is a really beautiful example to just pause and and hear your words first, that love is not an opposing force. And that is so beautiful. It's an absence. It's this the shadow, the darkness. It's just that absence. And so I think that there's really some profound wisdom right there that can help us in looking at the world as it's breaking down around us and understand um, that maybe we can love it forward, love it, love others through this. And, you know, our world, when most of us look around, we're seeing a lot of chaos right now. So I'd, I'd love to go there. And I'd also... And that's a big topic, and I don't know if we can even talk about it. Maybe we should have you back on and talk about that. But we've been talking about love and consciousness, and I'm just wondering if you have an easy, succinct way of differentiating what is soul, what is spirit, what is consciousness. Because you're talking, you you have this beautiful phrase in the book that I used in the intro today that really we're all carrying this memory within us you know it's this deeper peace so um, thank you for that explanation of love and how do you describe the difference between consciousness soul spirit and uh, the nature of our reality well uh, for me consciousness uh, is really kind of the big main operative term and consciousness is really that awareness Uh, for example I would often point out to people that your consciousness is not the little voice in your head. Uh, people often think, well, that little voice in my head, that is my thinking, my thoughts, my consciousness, that's my awareness, uh, that is who I am. Uh, well, I'll, I'll point out that that little voice in your head uh, is little more than a parlor trick, really. As a neurosurgeon, I can tell you that mm. uh, 
there are two regions in the brain that are mainly responsible for the production of speech, for one, and the reception and understanding of speech uh, in the other. Um, and they're tiny. They are absolutely, you know, they're no more, no bigger than the tip of your um, little finger. Uh, and yet we call the place they reside the, the hemisphere. They reside in the left hemisphere in most right-handed people. And we therefore call that the dominant hemisphere. That's how dominant that little voice is. Um, the voice is also uh, the voice of logic and rational thought and reason. It's how we communicate with other human beings and in many ways, you know, linguistic communication. Of course, there are many other forms of communication. But that little voice is not your consciousness. Your consciousness is the awareness. It is what is aware of that voice and aware of everything else that's going on. It's your awareness that is the deep mystery. Now, in the scientific world, there are two extreme challenges uh, in our current science. One is called the hard problem of consciousness, and it basically points out the impossible nature of trying to proceed from the physical workings of the brain to anything that is consciously aware. Um, the other is the measurement problem in quantum mechanics. Both of those scientific issues rest on the profound mystery of awareness, of being aware of existing. That is consciousness. That is the part that is an absolute stunner. That is the part that actually expands when the physical brain and body die, is that awareness becomes far greater. Uh, and so I would say in terms of then taking that uh, conversation uh, along in terms of soul and spirit, I would say the soul is what I would term that essence, that essential part of us uh, that is not uh, so easily reducible to just the body and, and the lifetime and the thoughts and the kind of personality and the ego and all that. The soul is kind of that deeper essence, uh, but it's, it's in many ways kind of a mistake to look at the soul as isolated. Uh, and so spirit is really the kind of ocean. It's the, the giant ocean of which all souls are derived. And again, our language itself gets in the way of any kind of discussion here because a lot of the words that I use keep referring to a separation, you know, objects and kind of relationships and separation. And yet that's all part of the distortion because deep inside of reality and in deep inside of our very awareness there is really just that oneness. And this is why I'm such a huge proponent of meditation. As I point out in uh, my second book, The Map of Heaven, and especially uh, in the uh, uh, appendix to that book, which is entitled The Answers Lie Within Us All, I talk about how important it is to go within. And I don't care what your means of going within is. And for those who don't have a means or who have trouble meditating, uh, you know, that book also points out the work of sacred acoustics. And I have a lot of interaction with sacred acoustics. Uh, Karen Newell um, is my partner in many of the uh, much of our work uh, together, our, our life's work, and certainly in the presentations we give in meditation workshops with the sacred acoustic sounds, which provide a means for going within, for coming to recognize that the little voice in the head, uh, as Michael Singer puts it in, in uh, his book, The Untethered Soul, is little more than an annoying roommate. Uh, but you don't have to just squash that roommate out of existence. You can simply coexist with that roommate, but come to realize that your conscious awareness is far greater than that. And that's where meditation is so important, because that's a way of transcending 
that veil, coming in touch with that universal infinite consciousness, that ocean of conscious awareness that is the substrate on which all of this universe exists, and become much more familiar with it. Uh, I try to meditate an hour, two or three a day. I've been doing that for more than uh, six years now, uh, and it brings benefits to life uh, that are so great I cannot imagine anyone uh, trying to negotiate this human life without meditating, without going within, without uh, coming in touch with that infinite mind and consciousness and awareness uh, to help us realize that we are far greater than this tiny little being that is in a physical body and lives birth to death. Um, we are all far greater than that and far more interconnected. Yes. Uh, and that's when we get in touch with that ocean of spirit, which I would say uh, is fundamentally God, is that uh, that deity that I called Ob that really has absolutely no boundaries at all. And again, our language gets us in trouble because it, it starts to imply that, uh, you know, they're just little pieces of this. We understand those relationships and can make more sense of it. And our linguistic brain then just perpetuates that myth of uh, false separation. Uh, this is why I think our modern scientific approach to reductive materialism has been so deadly. Uh, it leads us into the false sense of believing that the physical is all that exists and that by breaking it all down to its fundamental parts, we can then come to understand the workings of the universe. Well, actually, uh, that's a bottom-up approach that I think is the exact opposite of the best way to approach it. The best way is a top-down view, which involves going within, uh, transcending that veil uh, that is constructed by the neocortex, I would say, uh, and coming in touch with that infinite mind, that uh, tremendous consciousness. Uh, one benefit of meditation is creativity and insight and guidance. And there's no shortage of great uh, thinkers in our uh, history, pillars of our modern civilization, people like Albert Einstein, um, Thomas Alva Edison, one of the greatest inventors of all time, Salvador Dali, great painter, uh, Ludwig von Beethoven, a, a beautiful composer, and others, many others like them, that all knew that the universe offered up their beautiful gifts of creative thought they didn't get to their ideas through thinking about them, that rational, logical uh, voice in the head that also is tied up with our ego. They knew that the, uh, the universe had a way of providing them with tremendous uh, fundamental shifts of insight and knowing uh, as gifts of creativity that came from going within, come from... Uh, you know, transcending that little voice of rational, logical thinking, but also, again, the voice of the ego. And the ego has two main tools, fear and anxiety, fear of the future, anxiety about the past. Uh, the ego, you know, serves a very important role uh, in individuals on this planet, uh, you know, as part of the survival game, but the ego is not your friend in this spiritual journey. In a much deeper knowing and understanding of the nature of reality, we need to transcend that ego tremendously and leave that little voice in the head behind. And that's where meditation is such a crucial uh, tool for all of us. And it brings benefits of health. If you're looking for physical health, mental, emotional health, uh, meditation offers tremendous power at controlling your own health and that of others. 
the power of prayer is something that comes through uh, very strongly as we come to realize that prayer does bring tremendous benefits. Going within, using that love, bringing that love into the world, serving as a change agent by being a spark of that light, uh, by bringing that divine light and love into this world, no matter how dark the valley we, we may walk. And, and in this sense, I often point out that the troubles and challenges in life, uh, the hardships like illness and injury, are gifts. They are the engines. They are what drive our ascendance. It's how we face those dark challenges in life that allows us to come to learn these lessons of love, recovering the love that we are, each and every one of us, divine, eternal, spiritual beings, that we're all interconnected. Uh, I mean, this has tremendous power to shift our lives dramatically, come to realize there's absolutely nothing to fear about death. Death of the physical body is just the end of a certain phase of our existence, but it actually is being released from the shackles of the prison in many ways. We're reunited with our higher mm-hmm. soul, with our soul group, go through our life review, uh, and then all of that is in the, in the setting of that beautiful, infinitely loving deity at that core, and then we come back in to do it again. Uh, the interesting thing to me is not um, the remembering of all that, but that there's kind of a programmed forgetting you know, most yeah. children uh, can have memories of past lives. Just ask them when they're young, when they're two and three, where were you before this? Uh, and you'll get some fascinating answers. Uh, and the people like Jim Tucker and Ian Stevenson at University of Virginia who have studied past life memories in children indicative of reincarnation have come to realize that between ages about two and six, you can uncover incredible uh, stories and awareness. And, of course, children are well known to play with uh, say the souls of departed grandparents or siblings or what have you, uh, they yeah. live in a world where those uh, souls are still here, very available, and they really are. We don't die. The soul does not die. Um, <laughs> That's and such a good message. And yeah, oh, I could There's just so go it. on and on and listen to you and let you go on and on. But I want to let our listeners know, Eben, um, we're just about out of time, but we've been talking with Dr. Eben Alexander. Many, many, many of the names, the studies, the information that that Eben has been talking about in this hour are in this book, The Map of Heaven, How Science, Religion, and Ordinary People Are Proving the Afterlife. It's full of beautiful stories of of everyday people and then yeah some of the greats that that you've been mentioning to Evan this was really a an, a fascinating conversation and I would I would love to have you on again because I, I I've just been sitting here writing down all kinds of other questions I'd love to dig into but thank you so much for joining us here today well, thank you so much for asking me and I would encourage people to visit me at evanalexander.com those who want to meditate, go to sacredacoustics.com. Also, mm-hmm. very informative sites are Eternia, E-T-E-R-N-E-A.org, and I-A-N-D-S.org. Uh, all those sites can offer tremendous insight and information to help people grow along these lines. And also, there's a reading list on ebonalexander.com for those who want to learn more from reading. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm going to just mention that again, evanalexander.com, because it is filled with a wealth of resources and really a fascinating repository of how to live 
as well as understanding all of these concepts we brought in. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate having you here. And listeners, remember, together we create connections for the greater good of the whole. And until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now. <laughs>